0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: well, The Rebbe is discussing different levels of unity with God. One is analogous to a chariot. With the chariot becomes a tool an implement of your will, your desire. The chariot is egoless, it's a tool in your hand, that goes wherever you want it to go. So the the organ with which you do the mitzvah, your hand that does the mitzvah, your legs that take you to do the mitzvah, they are like chariots. They become the implement to God's inner will. What God really desires and which is the ultimate motivation and driving force behind everything in creation. Why did God create the world? Because he desired us to do mitzvot and therefore he created the whole world. So by using your organs and using your body and using your being to do mitzvot to become the implement, to implement God's desire and will, then you become a mekava, a chariot, a tool, an expression of God's will. and You become united with God. Then there's a deeper level of unity which is the object of the mitzvah, the candle, the tefillin, the Sefer Torah, the Torah scroll, the object of the mitzvah itself, which is like an organ, becomes like an organ, just like the relation between the organ and the body to its soul, which, which the organ becomes completely united and inseparable from the soul. So too, the object of the mitzvah itself becomes inseparable and united with God and therefore it becomes a holy object when you do a mitzvah it's not just a ritual, a custom, a symbol the actual physical object becomes a sacred object, a holy object because it becomes united with God completely united with God, just like the body is completely united with the soul inseparable from the soul, you don't know where the soul ends and the body begins it's not like a machine, electricity, a current of electricity that causes the machine to move the relation between the body and the soul is much deeper than that. The body itself comes alive. Every cell in the body is alive. You can see the difference between a corpse and, and an alive person. The body, this is like a piece of clay, and this is of the, the person, the flesh itself is alive. It becomes inseparable. So much so that a healthy body, you don't even feel yourself. It's completely unself conscious. And the identity of the body is the, is the soul. That is the identity of the body. So the whole being of the body it becomes the soul. So too, the actual object of the mitzvah and the soul energy that moves your hand to do the mitzvah, they become the organ to God, so to And just like the organ draws down the energy, the soul energy, the hand draws down the soul's ability to move, brain draws down the soul's ability to comprehend, the heart draws down the soul's ability to feel, experience emotions. So too, when you do a mitzvah, we actually draw down the divine energy. Each particular mitzvah, just like each particular organ, draws down a unique expression of the soul, so too, each particular mitzvah draws down a unique divine revelation. Each mitzvah is different. And that's why this mitzvah brings these blessings, and this mitzvah brings down these blessings, draws down this energy, and draws down this divine energy. But it evokes a response. That's the other difference between a Merkava, chariot, a tool, and an organ. A tool is a vessel. It doesn't draw down anything. It doesn't evoke anything. A vessel evokes. The hand draws down the soul's ability to move. The eye draws out the soul's ability to see. The ear, the organ of the ear, draws out the soul's ability to hear. So when you do a mitzvah, you're actually drawing down the divine energy, the divine flow, the divine so that's a much deeper unity but now we're we're coming to the third level of unity the ultimate unity the highest level of unity and that is as he opened up in the beginning of the chapter he quoted the Zohar he quoted the Zohar the Zohar states that the Torah and God are completely one while the Zohar refers to the mitzvot the 248 mitzvot as the 248 limbs of God so the Zohar is distinguishing between mitzvot and Torah. When it comes to mitzvot, he doesn't say that the mitzvot and God are one. He said the mitzvot are the organs to God, just like the organs in the body are one with the soul, as close as you can get. So much so you don't know where the soul ends and the body begins; they become inseparable. But nevertheless, there's still a difference between the body and the soul. When it comes to Torah, however, the Zohar says the unity is a much deeper unity. God and this Torah are completely one, absolutely one. And therefore, when you study Torah, you actually become one with God. Because a mitzvah, by definition, a mitzvah is a commandment. So by definition, there's a separation. God is commanding us. So yes, the object of the mitzvah through which we fulfill God's will and wish and inner desire... It becomes a sacred object, it becomes one with the divine. But nevertheless, the mitzvah by definition means that there's there's a separation. When we study Torah, we become one with God. It's like the architect. The architect has an idea, a concept. He wants to build a building. So you have the material with which you build a building. You gather all the material, you gather the stone, you gather the, the, the steel, you gather everything you need, the wood, whatever you need to and it's that material that you're using that actually implements the vision and the wish of the, of the architect of the, of the building, to build a building. Is there a commandment to study Torah. Yes. There is a commandment to study Torah, and it's one of the 613 commandments. But there is an aspect of Torah which is far more profound than just a specific mitzvah, a specific detail. There is an aspect of Torah which surpasses the fact that it's a mitzvah, just like the, all the, the, just like the other six hundred and thirty mitzvah. As a matter of fact, there are three aspects of Torah. One is it's a mitzvah. It's an obligation. Just like it's an obligation to light the candle, obligation to put on the tefillin, obligation to give tzedakah, there's an obligation to study Torah. But then, in addition, the mitzvah studying Torah is, is a comprehensive mitzvah. Because without the mitzvah studying Torah, there's no way I can fulfill all the other mitzvah. Without knowledge, without information, unless without awareness, if you remain ignorant, there's no way you can fulfill all six hundred and thirteen mitzvot. So the, the mitzvah of studying Torah is a, is a general mitzvah, and it enables us to fulfill all the other mitzvot. But then there's the third aspect of studying Torah, and that's what he's discussing here. We're learning Torah is is an end in itself. Learning Torah, you're not just to study Torah in order to fulfill a mitzvah or in order to be able to fulfill the rest of the mitzvah, the other 612 mitzvah. But just the studying of Torah because Torah connects us with God. Torah unites us with God like nothing else. Even more, more so than, than through mitzvah. Because when you're studying Torah, it's like the Torah is the blueprint. Torah is the design. And when Hashem is sitting and has His idea, so to speak. And you're participating on that level. You're participating on the design level. You're sitting and discussing with Hashem His vision, is design for the world. The Torah is the blueprint for, the re- for, for reality. So when you're studying Torah, you're participating in the, in the design. You become unified with the, with the architect himself. It's a much deeper unity. It's not just you become unified because you're fulfilling the will of God and you're implementing His will, and you're fulfilling His will, and you becoming unified with His will when you study Torah you become one with God Himself who is thinking about this design, who is thinking of the Torah a group of college students once met the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe and they asked him, is it true, how is it possible that they say that people who knew the entire Torah, people like the Vilna Goyen and others, and the Rebbe himself was the best example were knowledgeable in every area in any science, you can discuss with him any area in life. Music, astronomy, the latest science. Things that didn't even exist when the Rebbe who studied in university in Sorbonne. feel that didn't even exist. And the Rebbe could converse with the world's experts on that subject. On their level, speaking their language. So the question was how is it possible that by studying Torah that makes you knowledgeable in every area and every science and every area in life? And the Rebbe answered of course it's possible because Torah is the blueprint for reality. So when you study the blueprint you're studying God's mind. When you know God's mind and His design and His purpose then, then you can already figure out everything in this world is a reflection of, of God's mind of God's design of the purpose of the blueprint. So once you master the Torah, if you're a true master of the Torah, then you master all the sciences and all the wisdoms of the world. Because once you know how God is thinking, once you become one with God's mind, God has not revealed his mind in the science, physics. That, that's just a, that's a ray of a ray, the tiniest, most insignificant reflection of God's mind. But in Torah, God revealed himself. And therefore, a true master of Torah, who mastered every aspect of Torah, and who knows how God is thinking, can figure, the, can figure out everything, everything that's going on in this world. From botany, to astronomy, to music, to every discipline, every wisdom, and every science. There's nothing that's not incorporated in the Torah. So when you're sitting and studying Torah, you're unifying with God himself before the world is created. The Torah precedes creation. It's deeper than creation. It's more profound than creation. Because when you're studying Torah, this is God's mind, where God is thinking for, for himself. So you're becoming unified with God himself. You're having a conversation with God. The words of Torah are God's words and his wisdom and his way of thinking and his understanding. So, if you master the Torah, you're mastering the divine mind.
2: So, uh, how does this reconcile with what Moshe said when uh, you know, Hashem passed by and he said that you can't see my face? How can we really uh, understand God's mind?
1: That's a brilliant question. And we learned earlier in chapter 4 that's why the Torah is compared to water. Because the nature of water is that it flows from the peak all the way to the bottom. Water will find the lowest common place. Anyone who ever suffered from a leak in their house can testify, water will always find the lowest place. So the nature of water is that it flows from the top down. But when water flows from the top down It's the very same water that was on top That very same water ends up in the bottom And that's why the Torah is compared to water Because God took his mind The divine mind His infinite mind And only God can do this But God condensed his mind And expressed his mind In language that man can understand That man can relate to In the Torah Which is language that we can relate to its stories its words its letters its concepts and we have civil law we talk about the, you know we talk about thing material things agricultural law civil law these are all things that we can relate to but what are we dealing with here we're not dealing with this is not just law this is not just physics this is not just mathematics this is not just agriculture you're dealing here with a divine mind When you study Torah, your mind is engaged and occupied in the very same thing that engages God's mind. The entire creation, as we learned earlier, is insignificant to God. It doesn't engage God's mind. It doesn't even begin to engage. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. It's completely nullified. It's almost like God can't even find it within himself. Even his ability to create is completely insignificant and nullified within God. But the Torah disengages God's mind. This gives God pleasure. This is God's pleasure. So when you study Torah, it doesn't matter which aspect of Torah, whether you're learning civil law, whether you're learning agriculture, whether you're learning anything in Torah, your mind is engaged in the very same thing that, that engages God's mind. But in a language a man can understand. And that's, that's the, the miracle, the gift of Torah. Because it speaks in the language of man, so we can wrap our minds around it. We can grasp it. We can it can engage our mind fully when you study Torah and it challenges your mind and you really put put your mind to it. Your mind is completely wrapped up. And when you when you master when you grasp a concept in Torah, your mind grasps the tighter. But what are you grasping? You're grasping something that's inherently infinite. This is the water that has journeyed and traveled but retained, just like water. The water on the bottom is the very same water that was on top. It retained its divinity, retained its infinite. God is able to condense his infinite mind, his infinite self into the Torah. That's why the Torah is like a screen, we're able to receive the Torah because we can deal with the Torah. The Torah is graspable to the human mind words, letters, concepts, the Torah speaks our language. But we have to remember that every word in the Torah, every letter in the Torah is a vessel, a vehicle for the infinite. Every letter in the Torah contains God's infinite soul. It totally transcends the mind and totally transcends human comprehension and human intellect or even even angelic comprehension. It completely transcends the entire universe. And yet every word and the letter in the Torah is able to grasp, is able, is is reflects God's infinite self. And yet it's contained in simple language, a language that we can grasp. So when you're grasping the Torah, what you're truly grasping is with your human finite mind, you're grasping the infinite. That, that's astonishing. That doesn't exist when you study math or science or physics or any other wisdom. It's only by studying Torah. It's a paradox. The human mind is able to grasp Something infinite. The finite mind is able to grasp something infinite. And fully grasp the part of Torah you're able to grasp. But by grasping what the mind is able to grasp, by understanding a piece of Torah, a verse in the Torah, whatever you're studying, a piece of Talmud or a legal question, you're grasping the infinite. Which explains why a Jew gets so excited about studying Torah. Conventionally, who studies law? If you're planning to be a lawyer, you study law. If you're planning to be a judge, you study law. A person who has no ambition to become a lawyer, has no interest in, be- in becoming a judge, doesn't spend thousands of hours of his life, doesn't dedicate thousands of hours to study law. Yet a Jew who's not a rabbi, who's not plan- planning to become a dayan, and a judge, will spend thousands of hours of his life studying Baba Kamer, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, Tamurik, legal questions... Have no relevance to your life. It has has no application to your life. It's not connected to your life. And yet a Jew can't wait to wake up in the morning and to study with renewed enthusiasm and spend 18 hours a day to study and to, to learn because it's not just a question of studying law, intellectual exercise. It's not just a question of studying mathematics or physics, which gives you a tremendous intellectual reward. When you study Torah, you become connected, you become united. Your mind becomes united with the mind of God. You become inseparable from God. Your mind becomes the finite and the infinite merge. You become one with God. And, and a true master of the Torah, your mind starts thinking like the divine mind. That's why right, the true masters of the Torah, the true leaders of the Jewish people, the Moshe Rabbeinus of the Jewish people, the Moses of the generation, Their mind became one with the mind of God and therefore they looked at everything in life from from a divine perspective. From a godly godly perspective. And when you study Torah, we we absorb a lot more than just the conscious level. When you read a book, you're not just absorbing the conscious level. You're also absorbing the author who has invested his soul in that book. You're getting a lot more than just what you receive in the conscious level and that's why you read a book and the author happened to be very corrupt it, it will have an effect on you because we absorb a lot more we absorb also what's going on subconsciously so it's not just your mind absorbs whatever you can on a conscious level there's also a lot more going on your, your soul so to speak is connecting with the soul of the author and if the soul of the author happened to be a very rotten human being <laughs> it will affect you. You, won't, you can't say it's, you're unscathed, it won't affect you. So imagine how much more so when we study the Torah, the divine author, written by the divine author. So when we study Torah, it's, it's, a lot more is going on than just what's going on in the conscious level. That you understand the Torah, you appreciate it, it's deep, it's profound, it's interesting, it's stimulating, It's exciting. A lot more is going on. We're also, our soul is also absorbing the soul of the author. Our soul is uniting with the soul of the author. God invested his soul in the Torah. He invested himself in the Torah. It's his mind, it's his infinite divine mind. You're absorbing the holiness of the Torah. You're absorbing the infinite holiness of the Torah. As well. your soul is absorbing the infinite and, and it affects you positively. Your mind starts thinking in a divine way, in a godly way, you start seeing reality from a different perspective there's a big difference if you study Torah you don't study Torah when you study Torah your mind thinks differently you see things in a purer way in a clearer way in a much more profound way a divine way it's true (laughs) and that's the secret of the Jewish people We're we're the people of the book this is what preserved us thousands of years God is speaking He's a teacher and we're learning it's his words his wisdom and this elevates us above above the entire universe when we study Torah the universe ceases to exist the world ceases to exist what universe what world this is God's blueprint for reality before creation this is God thinking to himself so this precedes creation nothing exists and therefore nothing affects us and this is what keeps us fresh keeps us vibrant keeps us vigorous and keeps us current and relevant and keeps us youthful we haven't seen anything yet. you have been around 3,800 years. Not only haven't we exhausted our energy, we haven't even scratched the surface. You don't just study Torah in order to go to heaven. When you study Torah, you are in heaven. Because you are united with God. That's the ultimate motivation for you to study Torah. Not to fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah, like you said, or even to be able to fulfill all the other mitzvah. It's just the idea when you're studying Torah, your lishmah for its own sake, just to be united with God, to be connected with God, where your mind becomes completely one with God. In a complete unity, in an absolute unity. Much more so than through the mitzvot. And that's why the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the other mitzvot. That's why Torah study has always been way up there, has always been the number one priority for the Jewish people. We're the people of the book. Of course, it's not enough to study Torah. You have to live the Torah and you have to implement the Torah and you have, you have to bring it into action. But studying of Torah is an essential part of a Jew's life. And it's an end in itself, not just a means to an end. You have to be a scholar to do the right thing. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be learned. That's a means to an end. But just studying Torah for its own sake, just the idea of being one with God, and that's what he's going to explain now, how through studying of Torah, we achieve a third level of unity, which is much more profound than the unity of a chariot to the rider, which is also unified with the rider, eagle is. It's even more profound than the unity of the organs of the body to the soul, which is inseparable from the, from, from the soul. The body becomes the soul, an expression of the soul, so much so that the body, or, automatically responds whatever the soul wants the body just automatically does because the body and the soul become absolutely one and unified but nevertheless there's still a distinction between the body and the soul it's two separate entities that become unified in the divine mystery and the divine miracle of life how material and spiritual matter and energy become completely unified but nevertheless it's two entities that become unified When you study Torah, however, you become absolutely one with God. There is no separation whatsoever. The second paragraph, but the thought.
0: But the thought and meditation on the words of Torah, which is accomplished in the brain, and the power of speech engaged in the words of Torah, which is in the mouth, these being the innermost garments of the divine soul, and thus closer to the soul itself than the faculty of action, the external garment, and surely the divine soul itself, which is clothed in them, that is, in the thought and speech engaged in Torah study. All of them are fused in perfect unity with the Divine Will, and are not merely a vehicle, a chariot for it, as are the mouth and brain in which the thought and speech of Torah study takes place. The term perfect unity indicates that the two become one and the same, unlike, for example, the unity of body and soul, which retain their separate identities even when they are joined together and form one unit. An example of a perfect unity, can be found in the unity of the soul with its faculties which are a part of it and are thus completely united with it in the same way the divine soul and its faculties of speech and thought are united with the divine will when one thinks or speaks of matters of torah the alter rebbe now goes on to explain how torah study is able to affect this level of unity for the divine will is identical with the halakhic subject of which one thinks and speaks inasmuch as all the laws of the halakha are particular expressions of the innermost divine will itself. It says
2: here like the thought meditation, which is accomplished in the brain, is the innermost garments of the divine soul. What does that mean, the
1: innermost garments? The soul. The, the soul has like three garments, three expressions, thought, speech, and action. So the mitzvah is more with action. You have to do the mitzvah. Studying Torah engages the mind, it's through thinking. So thinking is the innermost garment of the soul. It's the closest to the soul. That's why you can't stop thinking.
2: Why a garment?
1: Because a garment, just like a garment, you can take off your garment, you can can put on your garment. It's not really part of you. Thought, speech, and action is not really part of you. I can think 2 plus 2 is 5. So it's a garment. I can change it. I can think whatever I want. You can't understand 2 plus 2 is 5 because understanding is part of you. Just like you, you can't grow a sixth finger, you can't take off a finger because it's part of you. That's not interchangeable. A garment is interchangeable. Thought is interchangeable. Speech is interchangeable. Action is interchangeable. It's external. You can take it on, you can take it off. Your emotions, your personality, your character are not not so interchangeable. You can't love something you hate.
2: So what's the outer garment?
1: The outer garment is speech. Speech is more outer in comparison to thought. Speech is more, action is even more external than speech. Speech, at least you see the connection to the speaker. There's a speaker, so there's some, some connection to you. Action, you may not see any connection between the action and the person doing the action. It doesn't tell me anything about the person. When you speak, it tells me something a little about you. When you act, a person could be working in a factory for 50 years. I don't know anything about him. I see he's working, he's doing something. It doesn't tell me anything about him. So, so speech is much more act, external.
2: Doing the act is the highest level. Yes, because uh, you know, like you were saying, doing the mitzvah right. and unto itself—that's right. an
1: act. Because that's the divine. Because the action we just learned—the action of the mitzvah—is the organ, is Hashem's organ. So when you're doing a mitzvah, you're uniting with God, because you're doing the object itself is sacred, is holy, because it's God's wish and God's will. So it's the divine that makes it special. But for the person, personally, subjectively, action is the most external. For for the soul, action is very superficial the most external part of the soul. Speech is a little closer to the soul, it's also, it's the inner layer of clothes. Thought is the most innermost layer of clothes. Because even though you can can change clothes, you can change the content of your thought, but you can't change thought, you can't stop thinking. Speaking, you could stop speaking, at least theoretically. But uh, thinking, you can't stop thinking. You can change, but you can change the content of your thought. Because just like the soul never stops, your thinking also never stops, even when you're asleep. So it's, it's very much close to the soul. It's, that's why that's it's called the inner garment. And that's what, when you study Torah, it engages your mind, your thought, versus mitzvot, engages your actions, your hands, your legs, your feet, your organs. So he's saying, when you study Torah, you are studying the will of Hashem himself, the innermost divine will itself. You're not, just dealing with, you're not dealing with anything outside of God. You're dealing with God himself. His divine will, his divine wisdom, his divine thinking. That's all you're engaged in. That's all so you occupy. Comp- so you become completely unified with God himself. Continue.
0: For God willed it thus, that a particular thing be deemed permissible or kosher, or that this person be found exempt and another innocent, or the reverse. Since every halakha expresses the divine will, The unity which the study of the Halakha effects between the soul and the divine will surpasses even the unity of body and soul. Similarly, all the letter combinations of the Pentateuch, prophets, and the holy writings, Ketuvim, are also expressions of God's will and wisdom, which are united with the blessed Ensof in a perfect unity, since He is the knower, the knowledge, and the subject known.
1: Every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah is holy. Captures the divine wisdom and the divine will and the divine essence, infinite light. That's why every letter in the Torah is so sacred. If a letter, if one letter in the Torah is missing, the entire Torah is invalid. One letter, the most seemingly insignificant letter, so it's scratched, so it's missing a little. The whole entire Torah is, missing, is invalid. You can't read from it because every letter contains within it the infinite, the divine. And the level of Torah that we understand on a human conscious level is very external, It's very superficial. Every letter in the Torah contains so much wisdom, so much infinite depth. And that's why a Jew approaches Torah with sanctity. It's sacred, it's holy. We're dealing with something that's essentially incomprehensible. But God enabled us to comprehend it on our level. We read the stories of the Torah. It's interesting stories. It makes sense to us. But no matter how much we understand, no matter... Essentially, we're dealing with something that's incomprehensible, something that's infinite, something that's... Every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah contains the divine wisdom. You're studying the infinite. You're you're studying Hashem Himself, His mind, His will. And your soul becomes united with the divine will, with the divine wisdom. You become inseparable from God. As time
0: goes by, do we
2: understand
1: more? And do we become more knowledgeable? Do we, by, by uh, discussing it and learning it and, and understanding it, has it changed? Do we know a lot more now than we did hundreds of years ago? Yes. With time, Hashem has revealed to us more and more of His Torah. It's like a Russian doll. <laughs> You keep on opening it up and there's more, and there's layers and layers and layers. So the, the Torah is like the analogy. the Torah is like... Um, imagine describing a person. right? How would you describe them? Some people we know very superficially. All you can say about them is, I can tell you what clothes they wear. Tell me the color of their eyes. I never look closely. I don't know. I can just give you a very vague impression, just externally, what I see another person took a closer look at the other person. He can tell you a little more. He can tell you the shape of their nose, the color of their eyes. I can tell you something a little more about them. Not just the clothes they're wearing, something about their body, something about them. But then ask them, tell me a little about the personality, about the character. I have no idea. I can just tell you, describe them their nose and their eyes and the the height. Tell me something about, something a little deeper. I have no idea. Then you go a little deeper, someone who knows them a little better. Tell me about the personality. What gets them angry, what gets them mad, what gets them excited, they're a nice person. So someone can tell me a little about the character. But then I want to know what kind of mind do they have? How do they think? So that, that takes so a good friend who really knows them very well to go a little deeper. Now even if you know someone very well, you want to go a little deeper. Tell me a little about the subconscious. Tell me something what's going on inside. I don't know. And so it goes layer upon layer... Now, does that mean that the first level is a lie? Someone tells you, no, the first level is a truth. It's a very superficial, but underneath that, the clothes reflect a personality. Someone's a personality. The personality reflects a certain way of thinking. The way of thinking reflects a certain inner subconscious. I mean, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. So too, the Zohar says, the Zohar refers to the stories in the Torah as the clothes of the Torah, the outer clothes. They're all true. Every letter in the Torah is true. Every word in the Torah, every story that happened is literally true. But it's the outer close. If someone suffices by just studying the stories of the Torah and reading, wow, this is a nice story, an interesting story, it's a true story, and it's an exciting story, that's very superficial. Then another person takes a little deeper. What are the morals I can learn from the story? How can I become a better person? What's the Torah teaching me? This is already a person getting to know the body. I can tell you something more, the color of the eyes, the shape of the nose. Then you go deeper and deeper, the Talmud, and then you go to Kabbalah. Tell me something about the personality, the character. Strip away another layer, get a little deeper. And then you have Hasidus, which goes, let me get to the subconscious, let me get to the core, the essence of this person, what it's all about. So with time, Hashem has revealed more and more of the Torah, the secrets of the Torah. But nevertheless, the Shem Tov said, it says in the 19th Psalm, and we recited every Shabbat morning. King David says, The Torah of Hashem is whole and complete. Hashem said that after thousands of years of studying Torah, the Torah remains whole, complete, untouched. Despite all our understanding and all our brilliance, and building on the previous understanding, like the midget standing on the shoulders of the giant, and we're constantly growing in our understanding. As much as we understand, the Torah remains whole, complete, untouched, as if we never opened it. Because don't forget, it's infinite. Since every word and every letter of the Torah, and every story of the Torah, and every Torah portion contains the infinite, it contains Hashem, so we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even started and that's why we read the Torah every week with a renewed enthusiasm. How many times could you read the same story over and over? We've been reading it for 3,300 years. And yet every Shabbat, there's a new zest, a new enthusiasm. if We're discovering something brand new. Every time we finish a Torah scroll, we write a new Torah. It's a brand new Torah. Because you're dealing here with the infinite. That's why a Jew has such a sacred, holy respect for the Torah every word in the Torah, every letter in the Torah. It's not just brilliance. We approach the Torah with holiness and we understand. And that's why we have a respect for the earlier rabbis, the earlier authorities. Why we can't dispute an earlier authority. Because, yes, maybe we are more brilliant than them because we have more information than them. We are the midgets and they are the giants, but we are the midgets standing on the shoulders of the giants. We see a lot more. We're 38, 300 years later. We have the benefit of all that learning and all that discussion. But nevertheless, they are the giants. They are the authorities because they, are, they were holier than us. They were holy people. They were holy Jews. Why, and why were they holy? Because they were closer, one generation closer to Sinai, one generation closer to the source. They were just holier people. They felt godliness. They were just holier people than we were. They were like spiritual giants in comparison to us. Therefore, when they studied Torah, they felt the sanctity of Torah. It wasn't intellectual access. And because they felt the sanctity of, of Torah study more than we do, therefore, they were able to get to the truth of the Torah a lot more than we do. We may be more brilliant. We have more information at our, at our fingertips. But they have a certain divine assistance that we don't have. Because they were closer to the divine. Because they were godlier people therefore every letter, every word they studied with such sanctity therefore Hashem helped them they had the divine assistance that every letter of theirs every word of theirs is, is, is genuine and that's why we have a tremendous respect for the previous generation and, and the latter generations can't argue with an authority of the previous generation the Ahireinim can't argue with the Rishonim and Amor can't argue with the tan. because we know that there was a sanctity there was a holiness there that they had that we don't have, that we lack. They're, they're the spiritual giants and we're the spiritual midgets. And that's why we, we can't argue with them, but we are the midgets standing on the shoulders of the giants. So we see a lot further than they do, because we're building on everything that they've accomplished.
2: That doesn't mean we're more brilliant. Yeah.
1: Of it's course far-fronted. not. Of course not. Are you kidding? If they had, if they knew what we know today with their minds, they, they would have, don't forget, they had nothing. And, and there's, there's there's no question even even the books don't forget the books that we have because they had nothing to uh, it was very difficult to write can you imagine if they had the computer how prolific they would have been how much they would have accomplished we have all this opportunity just we have nothing to write <laughs> and therefore because every letter and every word was sacred for them therefore they were able to get to the truth with divine assistance, and they were able to discover the truth. And therefore, every letter and every word of theirs is holy to us. So when we study a Rashi, and let's say we don't understand it, we approach it with trepidation. Even our language, we don't say, "Well, I disagree with Rashi." Oh, I disagree with Rashi. You know, Rashi is, <laughs> Rashi, you know, Rashi is what a holy, holy Jew he was. I don't have the merit to understand what he's saying. how... So bust my head and break my head and I'll with Hashem, I'll pray. And I'll go to the mikvah and I'll pray hard and I'll I'll work my head off. And then with the Hashem I'll open my eyes and I'll begin to taste the sweetness what it actually is saying. I'll begin to understand the depth and the brilliance and the sweetness and the and the accuracy what it actually is saying. There's a healthy respect. When you open a word of Torah and or even the oral tradition from a, a holy rabbi who wrote something in Torah this is the divine wisdom you're dealing with. This is, not, this is not a chess game. Mathematics, let me figure this out logically and rationally. You're dealing here with something sacred and something divine, something ultimately that's infinite and intact and whole and incomprehensible. And Hashem enabled us to understand some of it. And therefore, when you approach it that way, then you have the divine assistance to be able to come to the truth, to understand really what the Torah says, because otherwise, people use the Torah as a platform for their own brilliance or arrogance or abri, and they start interpreting things in the Torah that are simply not true and distorting things in the Torah because, it just beca- because the Torah to them is just an intellectual exercise so and just a tool to show how brilliant they are.
2: So when he said, I think, I don't know if it was the Baal Shem talk or him, this rabbi, when he said, if you you do more than you understand, you end up understanding more than you know. So basically that's the same thing, right? If you if you start studying the Torah when you, you don't really understand why things are happening, but you start studying and studying and studying. The more that you study and the more you have a connection with God, he'll make you understand the things that, that go far beyond what you know,
1: right? So that was the precondition for the Jews to receive the Torah. They said, first we will do Nahasah and then nishma. then we will listen. The foundation The precondition of studying Torah is first you have to do. Once you do, that enables you to understand. He was a great Chassid. He was one of the greatest Lebavitch Chassidim that ever lived. He was called Rav Hillel of Parish. and he took upon himself every beautification of a mitzvah. If there was any opinion that you can do the mitzvah in a more beautiful way, he had like, you know, he would do the mitzvah to the maximum, the best way possible. And he took upon himself things that no one else did. And he, and he said, he says, I take upon myself to do the mitzvah in the most beautiful way because the more I do the mitzvah, it helps me in understanding the more I understand the tanya, the more I understand chasidus, the more I understand Hashem's Torah. The more Torah I understand, the more motivated I am to do, to do the mitzvah, to do, to do it even more, more beautifully. So it's like, it's like a never-ending cycle. One helps the other. The more mitzvot you do, the more active you are, the more divine assistance you have, and the more it opens you up. It opens up your mind and opens up your soul to be able to perceive things that are really beyond beyond you. And the more your mind is open, the more motivated you are to go ahead and to go ahead and do and do the mitzvah. This reminds me of a beautiful story of Hilla Parij. Hill Aparij never saw the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. Once once in his life, he heard his voice, because he heard so much about the Alter Rebbe that he decided he must see him. But every town he came to see him, he missed him. He just missed him. Like the Alter Rebbe just left. And this happened time and time again. Finally, he got smart. He found out the Alter Rebbe's itinerary, and he made it to the town before the Alter Rebbe came. But there was going to be a big crowd to see him. How is he going to get his audience? So he hid under the table without the Rebbe's going to speak. And he prepared some questions in the Talmudic Tractate of Erechen. Erechen is a Talmudic Tractate that explains the laws in the Torah. It says if a person takes upon himself that I'm going to pay the value of a person. So depending on the age of the person, depending if it's a a male, a female, then the age he has a certain price so that's the amount that you have to give to tzedakah so if you say if his value I take upon myself his value he has to give whether it's three shekels or whatever it is the different ages of different groups so there's a tamudic tractate on these laws a whole tamudic tractate called Erach. and he had, Al the Rebbe's reputation preceded him, Al the Rebbe was a brilliant the most brilliant mind in Eastern Europe, tamudic scholar he wrote the code of Jewish law the Rebbe Shulchan and he wanted to ask him. He had this question that bothered him. No one was able to answer, and he prepared these questions. The Rebbe walks into the room. He sits down. Before he has a chance, he planned, his plan was he's going to poke his head up and say, "I have a question for you." Before he had a chance to say anything, the Rebbe said, "A young man, a young man, that has a question." In the Talmudic tractate at Erchen. first he has to be Meirech himself. Meirech means he has to first evaluate himself. Erechim is all about evaluation. Let him first evaluate himself. Rabbi Hilal Baruchah realized what al Rebbe said, he fainted. <laughs> and no one realized, he was under the table. No one even could revive him. By the time he came to himself, al Rebbe left town. And that was it. <laughs> so he never saw the Al-Turabi. But this was the only time in his life that he heard. And this is what al was telling and this, this is applicable to what he's discussing here. That, yes, the Torah is logical and it's brilliant, especially the Talmudic tract at Erichin. It's brilliant. And you have one question and if you read, you study the Talmud and those who really get into the Talmud, you have five different ways of answering one question. My manaries approaches the Talmudic, Talmudic passage this way, and the Rajbo approaches it this way, and then Am- Nachmanaries approaches it. I mean, it's just fascinating. It's brilliant. It's just there's no there's the pleasure that it gives you just to study Torah, the different understanding and the different approaches. It's just, it's just incredible. But ultimately, you have to remember that you're dealing with something divine, godly, infinite, inexplicable. Just like the laws of Eretz, how do you explain it logically? Everyone at this age has one price, has one value. The biggest shmendrik and, and the most valuable valuable person in the community who contributes, and yet the Torah says they all have the same value. In other words, you're dealing here with the infinite because in comparison to the infinite, to Hashem, a billion, a trillion, a zillion is not one iota closer to infinity than one. To Hashem, the greatest, as we learned earlier in, in chapter 18, the greatest and the smallest is all the same. So they all have the same value the one who makes the greatest contribution and the one who seems to be meaningless, his whole being in existence seems to be meaningless if not counterproductive. And yet Hashem says they all have the same value. So, you know, so you're dealing here with something that's infinite, something that's totally beyond human comprehension, beyond spiritual comprehension, you're dealing here with Hashem Himself. So when the Jew studies Torah, you have to remember that with all the understanding and with all our ability that Hashem enabled us to understand, Ultimately, we should never forget that the Torah remains intact and whole as if we've never even scratched the surface, as if we've never even unwrapped it yet, because it's infinite. And therefore, you approach the Torah with a tremendous sense of holiness, of sacredness. I'm about to become one with the essence of God. I'm about to become one with the will and the wisdom of God himself. Pre-creation before the world, the world doesn't exist. Nothing exists. All there is is God, and I am becoming one with and therefore you approach the Torah with holiness. not just an intellectual exit. And therefore you can't become arrogant. The Torah can't make you arrogant. How can I become arrogant? The Torah can only make you humble. Like Moshe received the Torah was the most humble person that lived. Every bit of Torah that he learned made him uh, humble Him Made him a more refined person. The closer you get to God, the more unified you become with God, the more egoless you become. Then you know that he's tr- truly studying Torah Lushma for its own sake and that it's something very divine and godly and special is
0: happening these days. Okay, continue. This is what is meant by the statement that the Torah and God are absolutely one. They are not merely organs of the king, as are the mitzvot. For, as explained above, the unity of the mitzvot with God is like that of body and soul, where two separate entities are joined, whereas Torah is entirely one with God. Now, since the divine will, which is in perfect unity with God himself, stands completely revealed in the divine soul and in its inner garments, that is, its thought and speech, while the person occupies himself with words of Torah, and there is nothing obscuring the divine will at that time. For when one studies Torah, the divine will and wisdom contained in it come into full expression in one's soul and its faculties of thought and speech. It follows that at that time, the soul and these garments of thought and speech are also truly united with God, with a unity comparable to that of God's speech and thought with His essence and being, as explained above. For nothing is separate from God, except insofar as His countenance is concealed. Only then can created beings perceive themselves as distinct entities, as explained in chapter 22. Since there is no such concealment when one studies the Torah, one attains thereby a perfect unity with God. A unity comparable to that of God's speech and thought with Himself, prior to their revelation as speech and thought, but as they are contained within himself.
1: As we go about our, our mundane lives, we sense a separation. We don't sense godliness. But when you're engaged in Torah study, you're engaged in understanding the divine will and wisdom, then there's no separation. And then your mind becomes completely unified With God, just like God's thought and speech are completely unified within God himself. So at that moment, you become, your being becomes a true reflection. And you're able to see things the way God sees it. See, the Torah is experiencing reality from the inside out, the way God sees reality. We live in a a two-dimensional universe. So to us, everything is split down the middle. But from God's point of view, where reality is experienced from the inside out, there is no split. There is no dichotomy. All there is is God. There's an absolute unity. There's no split between right and left, chesed, kindness, Gvurah, strength, upper, lower, body, soul, material, spiritual, infinite, finite, right? All paradoxes are reconciled. God completely squares the circle. There is no split. There is no disconnect. So when you study Torah, we experience reality from Hashem's point. Where there is no split, there is no upper, lower, worlds, separate consciousness, separate existence, subjective, objective. All these dichotomies, all these differences just melt away. All there is is God. They become completely unified within the unity of God. So it's as if existence dissolves. There is no existence. There's no upper realm, there's no lower realm, there's no energy, there's no matter, there's no spiritual, there's no physical, there's no infinite, there's no finite. All there is, is God himself. The absolute unity of God. And this is something that the higher realms can't fathom. Not only the human mind can't fathom, the angels can't fathom. The higher realms can't fathom. The divine realms can't fathom this idea. Because by definition, they're defined. There's a certain definition. Either they're finite beings or infinite being. But infinite is also a, a definition. But God is beyond any definition. So this is something that even the higher realms can't begin to fathom. So this is a reality that eludes even the highest realms. So when you study Torah, you achieve a level of unity that eludes and escapes the highest divine realms. Because on the highest divine realms, there is a dichotomy. Higher, lower is God, and there's something separate from God. But when you study Torah, all these differentiations completely dissolve. And you become one with the essence of God. So it elevates you, it lifts you on a higher level than even the highest, highest divine realm, spiritual realms. And you become a reflection of that unity. When you sit and study Torah, that moment you become an expression of the ultimate unity. You become completely unified with God. It elevates you to a level that's beyond heaven. It elevates you to a level that's beyond the highest divine realms, spiritual realms.
0: When you say
2: study Torah, are we just talking about reading the words?
0: Or are we talking about the discussion? Because you know, when you, you sit, you talk about Torah, right? You, you, you read a, you read a Paul portion, and you talk about it, and you discuss it, and, and sometimes you question, and you challenge, and you want explanation. Is that all considered studying Torah? Even because God wants you to be, be saying, I, I don't understand this, and why is this?
1: As a matter of fact, with the exception of the five books of Moses, which even if you don't, even if you don't understand it, you can make a blessing, that's why anyone who's called up to the Torah makes a blessing, even if he has clueless what he's about to read. The oral Torah, unless you understand what you're learning, you're not allowed to make a blessing. It's a blessing in vain. The whole purpose of Torah, what is considered studying Torah, is if you study, if you understand it. And you have to understand it. When you study a Torah and you say, Rashi had a question, Taisus had a question, That's a very interesting historical fact. Taizu's had a question. Do you have a question? (laughs) Does it make sense to you? That's the only question. That's the only issue. You have to study Torah that it has to be your question. It has to bother you. Does it trouble you? Have you really thought about this very well? And the more you think about it, suddenly Taizu's question becomes your question. It makes no sense to me. And when Taizu says, it becomes your question. It it makes no sense. I, I don't understand this. And then, when he gives an answer, when Abe Notam or the Ri or one of the, I give an answer, it has to be your answer. It has to make sense to you. Otherwise, that's not called learning Torah. Learning Torah has to engage your mind. You have to understand it and understand it honestly. It doesn't make sense to me or it doesn't make sense to me. You can't pretend. And it's not enough. Well, it made sense to the rabbi. That's very nice. Maybe that doesn't make sense. You have to understand and delve deeply to the best of your ability. The limit of your mind you have to really push yourself until you fully, fully grasp, until it makes completely sense to you it sits well with you, it makes sense to you, but if something still troubles you and it doesn't make sense and doesn't sit well with you then then you haven't studied you haven't learned so yes, you study Torah through engaging your mind fully to the maximum, to the best of your ability but when you're studying Torah, when you're doing that It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not playing chess or figuring out out a logical puzzle or mathematical problem. You're studying the divine. At that moment, you become a reflection of God's absolute unity. And that moment is is very special. It elevates you above heaven. It elevates you to a place that the angels can never accomplish, never achieve. All the meditation in the world can never achieve. You can meditate for a thousand years. And you will not accomplish what you accomplish when you study a a piece of Talmud. The moment of studying Torah is so sacred, it's so holy, it's so special. It's something rare, it's something unique. It doesn't exist in the entire universe. Because the universe, by definition, whether it's the upper realms or the lower realms, the universe, by definition, is something separate from God. But when you study Torah, there's absolutely no separation. There's a complete unity. You become completely, you become a reflection of the unity of God. You become completely unified with God. And at that moment, you reflect the true state of being, the true state of reality, which is nothing really exists. All there is is God. There's no other experience in life like it. There's nothing in life we can do that we can achieve and accomplish the same thing. Not even through doing mitzvah. It's only through studying Torah that you can accomplish, that your being becomes a reflection. That moment, your being, through studying and understanding the Torah, your being becomes a reflection of the ultimate state of being, the absolute state of reality, that there's no other reality but God.
0: Okay. Moreover, their unity, that is, the unity of the divine soul and its faculties with God, that is attained through Torah study, is even more exalted and more powerful than the unity of God's infinite light with the upper, spiritual worlds. For the divine will is actually manifest in the soul, and its garments that are engaged in Torah study, since it is identical with the Torah being studied. All the worlds receive their vitality by way of the light and life, derived from the Torah, which is God's will and wisdom. As it is written, Through wisdom you have made them all, God's wisdom is thus the source of vitality for all the worlds.
1: because Even the upper realms, even the spiritual realms, are really just a means to an end, in order, because God desired, ultimately desired our world, but in order for us to fulfill our mission, our purpose in this world, that's why you have all the upper realms. It's like the architect or the builder, you have a vision. In order to implement this vision, there are many things, many stages you have to go through. But what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is the finished product. When the house is finished and furnished and livable, we are the finished product. The physical world, the material world, this is the ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal. But in order to get to this goal, you have to go through a whole process. You know, How do you suddenly end up with a house? You have to go through a whole procedure, a whole process. And that's that's why God started with the upper realms. Not that the upper realms are more valuable and more precious. Than, than the lower realm, our world. On the contrary, this world is more precious and more valuable. This is the finished product, this is the ultimate goal. It's But the upper realms is a means to an end. Therefore, the upper realms are not really a reflection of of the Torah, it's created through the Torah, by the Torah, through the Torah, in order to implement the Torah. But it's not the Torah itself, it's not the wisdom itself. The Torah itself is God's wisdom himself. Continued. thus it follows.
0: Thus it follows that God's wisdom, that is, the Torah, transcend them all. It must be above all the worlds, since it is their source. In fact, the Torah, God's will, is described as encompassing all the worlds, meaning that it is at a level that cannot become clothed within the worlds, but rather animates and illuminates them as if from a distance, from above, in a transcending and encompassing manner. And it is this level which transcends all the worlds that is clothed in a truly revealed form, in one's soul and his soul garments when he studies Torah, even although he does not see it.
1: So the Torah transcends all of the worlds. The worlds do not contain the Torah because creation is not something that fully engages God. As we learned earlier, God's ability to create is completely nullified within God himself. It's, It's insignificant to God. That's why creation is compared to speech, just like the ability to speak within a person. That doesn't, that's just an insignificant ten words when we speak ten words. Our ability to speak ten words, that, that's insignificant in comparison to, uh, to uh, the totality of our being. It's, an, it's a non-event. We can't even find those ten words within us. So God's ability to create is a non-event even within God. So the Torah is not just a blueprint for God to create the world. As if God's mind is engaged in creating the world. That's, that's a non-event. The Torah is God's mind is engaged on his, on his own. What, what engages God's mind, that is the Torah. And that totally transcends the universe. There's nothing to do with the universe. That's totally beyond the universe. That's God for himself. And all of the, the entire universe, even the higher spiritual realms, is completely Insignificant when you're studying Torah, you're really studying the divine mind itself. You're studying the same thing that engages God's mind. What excites God? What's, what's... From that point of view, not that the world is an illusion, but from that point of view, the world is merely, it's just here just to implement the divine will. All there is, is really the divine will. Because since God wanted that there should be charity in the world, and therefore he created the Wall Street, he created banks, he created currency, he created gold, and he created money and business. So the whole world of finance is in order, that's the implementation, in order to implement God's will, it should be tzedakah. So from God's point of view, the whole world, it changes your whole perspective in the world. The world is just, all there is is really the divine mind and God's will. And everything that exists is just here to implement God's will, that's all It's here. Therefore, it's not even a question. Anything that exists in this world surely has a source in the Torah. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. The world has no end in itself. The world has no purpose on its own. The world has no existence on its own. The entire purpose and goal of the world is only because God had a vision and He wants to fulfill that vision. And therefore, He created the world. So everything that exists in the world surely has to have a source in the Torah. The Torah teaches us why did God create this. What's its purpose? Why is it here? So when you're studying Torah, you become unified with God himself. And on that level, nothing else really exists. All that exists is, is the divine mind, God himself. So it completely transcends the universe.
2: There is a purpose in these infernal worlds. There's a reflection that comes down that gives us energy. Yes. And isn't it true that they say that what we do down here has an impact on what want to
1: Exactly. Because if we're not doing what we have to do, then who needs the supernal world? <laughs> then the supernal world are not doing what they have to do. The whole purpose of the supernal world is in order to give us the strength to enable us to do what we have to do. But if we're not doing what we have to do, then God couldn't care less about the supernal world.
2: There is a purpose.
1: Yes, that purpose is to enable us. To help us. And but he says even though we can't see it, we can't experience it. But nevertheless, the reality remains that when we study Torah, we transcend even heaven itself, the highest supernal realms, and we become one with God. Okay, this is a little elaboration. We continue. Next week we'll uh, conclude the chapter.